So we're going to continue today to look at some verses that we cracked into last Sunday, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 being the central focus we'll arrive at in a few minutes. But let me remind you what we learned last Sunday, that these two verses are the most quoted and clearly the most echoed in all of the New Testament. And they're very surprising verses. You were with us last week, you know that. Go back and, and look at the, the video or listen to the audio of last week's sermon as well to couple it with this week's sermon. But these are verses that are not, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. This is not the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. This is not, um, although your sin is as scarlet, I will wash you clean, white as snow. These, these, are not, these are not some of your favorite verses, some of our favorite verses from Isaiah. They're about people stubbornly not listening to the Lord. And the Lord, in fact, giving them over to the stubbornness and the fatness of their hearts. So, we're going to continue with that today. But first of all, this raises one issue, at least here, that uh, I've included in the sermon title, Rejected Good News. Sounds kind of strange, right? Rejected Good News. How do you handle rejection? How do you handle rejection? I know you love me but I just don't love you, or I don't love you anymore, or it's not about me, it's not about you, it's about me, but I'm sorry, we're over. How do you handle rejection? Yes, we know you were by far the most qualified for the position, but we just don't like you, we're hiring our brother-in-law. How do you handle rejection? How do you handle, how would you handle it if you offered pure, unadulterated, covenant love and grace unending to a people. And you were greeted with yawns, perfunctory religious rites, but no real heart engagement, no real spiritual engagement, or even outright hostility. I don't have time for that. You're going to waste my time. Maybe I'll come and worship you occasionally, but not much, because I'm busy with my own world. Well, it turns out we're going to continue to learn how God turns his people's rejection into good news for more people. Amazingly enough, when God's own people, or at least the majority of God's own people, close their hearts to the Lord's gospel, that opens all kinds of doors for all kinds of other people to be brought into God's fellowship. And ultimately... Not only a message of amazing grace, but the glory of Jesus Christ himself. Now, that's the story not only of God's providence generally, but also it's his mission plan. You heard me right. It's his mission plan. Rejection? Oh, good news. More mission. That's God's mission plan as we read through the Bible. It's the story of the Bible, and it's the key to understanding the message of Isaiah, which after all is the message of the gospel that connects us not only with the rest of the Old Testament, but moves us into the New Testament and the apostolic mission and message of the church 
in the first century and ongoing to where we are right now. You'll remember we've been looking at Isaiah chapter 6 as a key to understanding the full range of the message of the 66 chapters of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on a throne, um, and the hem of his garment filled the temple. Remember this? So that's the message, and it's at this key historic juncture for Judah and for Jerusalem with Tiglath-Pileser and the Assyrian Empire becoming re-emergent and assertive and heading in that direction. A big threat has arisen, and Uzziah, who's reigned for 52 years, is dead now. Now, we moving forward, remember that in the presence of the Lord God Almighty, about whom one of the seraphs calls to another, remember the, the Trishagion, Kadosh, 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 Yahweh, Sabaoth, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of the heavenly armies, of the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And in the midst, confronted with that message, in the presence of God, Isaiah, you'll remember, confesses that he is undone. He is he is totally undone, and he is unclean. I'm a man of unclean lips or language, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king. <laughs> I, I'm overwhelmed. But remember that the seraph, one of the seraphs, takes a tong and takes the burning coal or the burning tile or the hot tile from the altar and touches Isaiah's lips and says, Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And then, and then that brought us to uh, where, where we were really focusing last Sunday with our message, fail faithfully. Isaiah's call, uh, and, and let's turn back to Isaiah chapter 6, where I've led us up to right now in the sequence of this, what is really to use technical terminology, this is not Isaiah's call. He's already in ministry. You know, we've talked about that before. He's already in ministry. He already believes in the Lord. This is actually going to be his commission, his commission, the mission that he's going to be given. And he touched my mouth, verse 7, and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Verse 8. And I heard the voice of Adonai, of the Lord, saying the first time that Isaiah has heard the Lord, the first time in this chapter we're hearing directly from the Lord, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Remember the royal we with for us, indication of Trinitarian overtones. Remember, because in, when we read, when we track the scripture in the New Testament, we've clearly got the New Testament testifying that the Holy Spirit is involved in this call or this commission. And Jesus is too, so Trinitarian, right? Who will go for us? And then I said, here I am. Behold me, send me. And now these verses, the quandary we have to deal with, the most quoted two verses, the most quoted passage, hands down in all the New Testament and alluded to, echoed, really hands down in the New Testament. 
Not our favorite verses, but key verses. And he said, go and say to this people, this is the Lord speaking now, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Literally in the Hebrew, hear and hear, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, see and see. Do it over and over again. Knock yourselves out. But do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull. Remember, that means literally fat. Make the heart of this people fat and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. This is the word of the Lord. And you've got to really trust in the Lord to give the response today, right? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. To him alone be the glory. So, uh, here we are. This is heavily echoed throughout the major latter prophets. Remember, in the sequence, Isaiah is the first and key of the latter prophets in all the Old Testament and of the latter prophets as far as leading figures of the message leading all the way to and through the exile, okay? So, listen to the echoes. Jeremiah, Jeremiah, who comes after Isaiah in his train, so to speak, echoing these verses that we just heard. Jeremiah 5:21. hear this, O foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not see and who have ears but do not hear. Jeremiah, what about Ezekiel? Yep. All the, the trio of these major prophets. Ezekiel 12, 2, for instance. Son of man, you are living in a rebellious house. They have eyes to see, but do not see, and ears to hear, but do not hear. For they are a rebellious house. You hear this message echoing all the way through the second half of the Bible and all the way through the prophets leading up to the coming of Jesus Christ. Again, as I've said, most quoted in the New Testament. And it is a hard saying. We reflected on this last week. Let me pick up where we left off. Yes, God is sovereign. But are we here reading from and dealing with a dictate of judgment and condemnation from an arbitrary God, are we? No, we are not. As uh, J.A. Alexander says, reflecting on this, we'll get to this, when this passage is cited by Paul in Acts 28 as, as a key linchpin of understanding Paul's ministry. In this fearful process, there are three distinguishable agencies. Number one, the ministerial agency of the prophet. Number two, the judicial agency of God, God is judge. And number three, the suicidal agency of people who refuse to listen to God. In the grand scheme of things, of course, God is ultimately sovereign over all, but there is a dy dynamic and a process that God is working out in his providential sovereignty for his glory but there is an exchange, there's a dynamic going on here. So first, as I mentioned last week, even with these verses, um, 
God's command to the people. When God says his initial lines that Isaiah is supposed to bring to the people, it's ironic imperative. And remember I said last week, a lot of parents and other people who lead other people know about the ironic imperative, even if you never called it that. Sure, you go ahead, keep blowing over the speed limit. You keep driving like a wild person and you're gonna end up uh, paralyzed and in the hospital or dead. Does the parent want the child to keep breaking the speed limit? No, this is a warning. It's ironic imperative. And so the Lord is giving his people an ironic imperative. And yes, I'll go ahead and bring him out again. Some people were shocked when I did last week. I brought Bully back out again. Here he is. Remember we talked about the ancient people, contrary to what we might think, were not unsophisticated people, the very sophisticated people. They understand that um, a graven idol is not the real thing that they're worshiping, right? If, if, they, if they have a bull, they think that the bull represents strength and uh, fertility and uh, power and, uh, you know, victory. And, and that the little bull just represents a way for us to kind of have something that we can see and turn to. Like people like to go into places where they pray and look at things, right? Always, Christians, we have to be aware of. There's a fine line when you get into idolatry with that. You understand this, right, Christians? Okay, so, but, but look, I mean, Mississippi State Bulldog fans and football fans, you know this isn't a live bulldog, right? You know this, right? But what the Bible keeps saying and what God keeps saying is it's about as stupid to act like this is real as to act like the thing it represents is real. Victory, our team, and this is, my, this is where I get my happiness or my joy from the Bulldogs. From, and here I am, and if I can just touch it and maybe I'll get some good luck today and maybe my team will win. Remember what we turned to last week, just as, as, as an exemplary point of reference in the Old Testament. Psalm 115, you get the same thing, for instance, over in Psalm 135. When, when we read this, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk. Bully, bully, come here. Bull, bully, why is he not coming? I, I thought he was like my, my thing, my, my guy. Bully, bully, listen to me. I'm going to try to teach you something. Or bully, help my child get well. Come on, you can do it. Bully, help us win. There's, there's no response. They do not make a sound in their throat. Speak. Say something to me, bully. And then verse 8, the clincher, the punchline, folks those who make them become like them so do all who trust in them dead dead wood dead weight god is saying if you're not alive in me you are dead as dead as the idols that you worship as dead as the symbols that you think give you power and wealth and life that's key message from the Old Testament. So God is calling in a stern warning about 
imminent judgment. He is calling his people. I mean, Israel is already on the fritz, already on the verge of being taken by the Assyrians. And God, through Isaiah, is calling Judah and Jerusalem to repent. It is a warning of clear judgment that is coming, but it is also, in all of this, in Isaiah's ministry, a call to repentance. A couple things. Remember, when God sends Jonah to Nineveh, to the same Assyrians I'm talking about, I told y'all last week, there's such monsters, remember this? When God sends Jonah to Nineveh and says, you're going down, you're gonna be destroyed. But when the king and all the people and even the animals of Nineveh repent, what does God do? God accepts their repentance. You all remember this, right? And those aren't even God's people. Those are, those are the, the Assyrians. God is not angry or frustrated without a plan. The wrath of the Lord is always part and parcel of who the holy God is with his call to grace as well. And so we're dealing with this here. Let me just point out that although, yes, in 10, the Hebrew pen is mainly, likely, predominantly negative, it is also possibly read unless, unless you hear, unless you finally start hearing me. And notice this too. Isaiah is commissioned by God to lay on the truth to the people. I would guess this. If all Isaiah had to do is say, look, folks, we've been bad, but you know God loves us. We're his special nation. So let's just have a week of repentance and have some special prayer services and maybe take a special offering and we're going to be cool with God. Everybody would have bought in. And Isaiah could have had a huge church and a great response, and it would have just been awesome. God loves our nation. God loves our people. And all we need to do is pray really hard, and God's going to let us off the hook. But that is not the commission God gives to Isaiah. And if a man of God who's going to preach the truth has to be willing to preach the truth outright. And, and so here we are. We're dealing with all these things coming together with these most quoted verses in the New Testament from Isaiah. Isaiah is preaching a bracing message with a clear black and white, no holds barred call for repentance or judgment is coming on you people. But there is that opportunity always, even in the first main segment of Isaiah. Just for instance, look at Isaiah 30, 15 and 16. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. This is the Lord speaking. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. This is a long time before we get to Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort me, my people. This is, this is in the first segment of Isaiah, chapter 30. But here's the problem. Here's the verdict. You were unwilling the Lord continues, and you said, no, we will flee upon horses. Therefore, you shall flee away. 
We will ride upon steeds. Therefore, your pursuers shall be swift, swifter than you are. This bully's not going to outrun the, the real bully. So, now let's go to the New Testament. Jesus makes clear that Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, is a prophecy about his ministry. We saw that last week. For instance, when we read from Matthew chapter 13, you also see it in Mark chapter 4. You see it in Luke chapter 8. Jesus says, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see. He's quoting directly from this passage we just looked to. Jesus says, this is why I'm teaching in parables now. They've rejected my ministry. The leaders are already conspiring against me, wanting to kill me. This is why I speak in parables, Jesus says. This is why he shifts in the middle of the second year, in his second year of ministry, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Jesus continues. I'm reading from Jesus's words recorded in Mark chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter 13, verse 14. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand, you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown fat, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they, unless they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. It's quoting directly from Isaiah, but you notice now, Jesus is clearly the one who would heal them. He's in this consultation with Isaiah. And then he goes on and says, remember, rejection, good news. Verse 16 of Matthew 13. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? It's incredible grace that any of us know him. I mean, this ought to dominate our lives and our hearts forever, right? In our families and our schedules and where our real values are forever. This is incredible good news. Now, we're going to move on to the New Testament from where we left off last week. Next, we go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. This is the close of the book of signs in John's gospel. Remember, you've got the prologue to John's gospel. You've got the major book of signs running from the middle of chapter 1 all the way through chapter 12. This is the conclusion of Jesus' public ministry, public teaching. And then you have the book of glory beginning at chapter 13, running through Jesus' teaching privately with his apostles and then through his crucifixion and resurrection, okay? So the two main segments of John's gospel, the book of signs, moving to the book of glory, this is the conclusion of the book of signs, the conclusion, the wrap-up. John gives us the wrap-up of Jesus' public teaching ministry and of his public signs. Uh, picking up at verse 37. Though he, Jesus, had done so many signs before them, they still, the Jewish leaders and the majority of the Jews, still did not believe him. Well, what's going on here, John? You're the inspired apostolic messenger of the Lord. What is happening? John's going to tell us, go back to Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. Listen, listen, here's what John says. And also, by the way, Isaiah 52 and 53. 
so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah 53, the servant song, who's going to suffer and die for us. And then verse 39 of John 12. Therefore, they could not believe, for again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Most quoted verses from Isaiah in the entire New Testament. Once again, we're getting it here as John's key wrap-up to Jesus' public ministry. And then, you'll hear this a lot from me, verse 41 here, because this is big time. This is big time, folks. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory. This means Jesus. He saw the glory of Jesus and spoke of him. In other words, Isaiah 6 and 9 and 10 are all about the coming of Jesus and his ministry. That's what John just told you. Key to understanding Christian faith, the Christian gospel. Key. And what this is telling us, what John is telling us here, is that we got a Gezerah Shavah, a connection of Jesus dying on the cross, the suffering servant, Isaiah 52 and 53, with Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. It all connects. It all connects. Rejection leads to good news. Rejection leads to your salvation. Christian, do you understand what I'm saying? The rejection leads to the cross and your salvation. That's what John just told you in John chapter 12. And it all circles back around, among other things, to God's commissioned Isaiah in 6, 9, and 10. The Jewish leaders' obduracy and idolatry about their religious practices instead of accepting the true Messiah, their willful, stubborn blindness and deafness fulfills what the Lord spoke through Isaiah and brings your salvation. So here's the good news. Even human pride and even the idolatry of self-righteousness and religion that is not truly of God, talks about God a lot, but is not actually living faith, has a place in and fits in God's sovereign providential plan for his glory and for his grace to all who will turn to him. That is incredible good news. Rejection? Good news, God says. Um, the cross, atonement, salvation, and the mission to the Gentiles. Let's go to Paul for this one. The mission to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 28. Again, I'm giving you another juncture point. Like you hear from me on Wednesday nights. Key to know where you're reading these scriptures in context. Key to know the juncture points. The close of the Acts of the Apostles, the close in Acts chapter 28, not by accident, we're going to once again get the key sum up connecting back to Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. So Paul is in Rome now. He's already talked and met once with Jewish leaders of the Jewish synagogues in Rome, and now a larger group is coming back to him, and he's going to lay on them the full gospel of the kingdom of God and how Jesus brings the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. This is what's going on here. This is the big meeting in Rome. But notice where this is going to go. 
close doors, close hearts, open up new doors for the gospel ministry to the Gentiles. Go ahead and give you the heads up on this. Okay, so when they had appointed a day for him, this is the Jewish leaders of the Jewish synagogues, the large group, they came to him at his lodging. Remember, he's a prisoner in Rome, Paul is. In greater numbers, from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, always are some, the minority, the faithful remnant, what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement. Here is the key wrap-up to the Acts of the Apostles as far as the mission plan of God. Here it comes. The Holy Spirit. Remember how John talked about Jesus involved in the commission of Isaiah 6, 9, and 10? Now we got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely hear, and their, e and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Verse 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Rejection, good news. Close the door on God, great. He's already got the plan to go through 18 other doors. Bring it on. He will use our obduracy and his people's obduracy to bring glory and grace all over the world. But wait a minute, is this the end of the story for God's chosen people? God has a covenant, an eternal covenant, an enduring covenant with his people, right? Turns out it's all part of God's plan. As Jesus says, he's working through all this. John 9, 39. I don't have this as a scripture pin up for you, but I can just give you this. Jesus says, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who do not see may become blind. Those who do not see may see the message to the Gentiles, but also ultimately to the faithful of the Jews who are turning to the Lord and will turn to the Lord so that all Israel might be saved. Yes, we're going to go over finally to Romans 11 as Paul grapples with this mission message that he's given under the commission of Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. Let's turn over to Romans 11 finally. Romans 11, picking up at verse seven. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And even David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see, 
and bend their backs forever. So here's the quandary, or here's the question about God's faithfulness to his covenant that Paul has been talking about for now what we would call three chapters, and here he comes to it. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Verse 12, now if their trespass means riches for the world, rejection, good news, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, rejection, good news, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Let's skip ahead to verse 25, and we'll go through 27. Lest you, Gentile Christians, lest you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. God has a plan for the elect among the Jews, the true Israel, the full Israel that is of God. Which brings us to looking ahead to next Sunday. We're going to continue with this commission, and this is a long-term commission, as you can hear, not just for Isaiah, but for the church's mission in the world. I'm going to be inviting you to trust in God's long-term plan. Out there and in your own life, when you cannot understand about rejections and heartaches and failures, God is working together through all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. Romans 8:28. Finally, remember, just like the Lord is the same yesterday, today, forever, he calls anyone. Yes, he's working out this big picture providential plan for his gospel, but right now today I want to tell you, if you're overwhelmed, if you're burdened, he is gentle and lowly of heart, and he, the Lord, who spoke through Isaiah, is calling you to turn to him right now. These are the words of Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty five and following. At this time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. Come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon yourself. Learn from me. Learn from me. 
for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Amid all the big picture, he's calling you right now to turn to him. Come to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.